quick minute and uh, just spend some time acknowledging um, and being able to pray over the fathers in this room. As we know, as we say a lot, that honoring our fathers was not Hallmark's idea, it was God's idea when he tells us to honor our fathers and our, our mothers, and we want to recognize that, but also we want to recognize that we live in a day and time where that is harder to do than ever. Um, we have just a lot of different experiences all across this room um, where for some to say honor your fathers is a very easy thing to say and to, to mean and to grab a hold of. Others to say that is like a joke um, when you don't have a good experience whatsoever or maybe no um, father figure in your life whatsoever and what a kind of a disconnect between that and lifting high a, a God who is a father who never leaves us or forsakes us or abandons us or walks um, out on us. And so this, as from a church standpoint, this can be a very tricky thing to navigate through and the culture that we live in. And then again, we have some like myself, this is the third Father's Day without my father and others know that feeling. And what a strangeness there is to it it's, it's still not right and doesn't feel right and um but yet i have amazing memories and, and those things to to hold on to but when we think about just this picture of fatherhood i think about the word of god and the word, the word of god tells us that children are a heritage a blessing from the lord and that's true whether you're a father or or a mother but from a standpoint of fatherhood i also think about joshua Joshua, this man of courage, this, this uh, mighty warrior is Joshua yet. And Joshua 1, when Joshua's taken over, God tells him, hey, be strong and courageous. Because maybe God saw in Joshua uh, something, kind of a weakness there, not to be strong and courageous. So God says, be strong and be courageous. Um, do what I tell you to do. And then at the end of the chapter, Joshua stands before the people and Joshua says this. You choose, you people, you choose who you're going to serve. But then Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, is the, for the house I'm leading, the family I'm leading, the children I'm leading, we are going to serve the Lord. And what that means, that means more than just putting that saying up on a wall somewhere in your house. That means everything about your, your house centered around, around him. I was reading an article this week that said the two greatest words that a father can tell their children is this, watch me. Watch me. I was thinking about those words yesterday when we were with our kids, and I heard that a whole lot of times from our kids. Dad, watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Dad, watch this. Dad, watch this. Dad, watch this. And I'm like, I'm watching. I'm, I'm, my eyes are on you. I'm watching. And that was just Morgan. But <laughs> let, let alone the other two. But, you know, as our, our kids, they, they want to know that they have our undivided attention. They want to know that we're not too busy, that we can't look at them. We can't acknowledge them, that we, we're going to look and see what's going on in their lives. And the article said the greatest thing that we can do is to tell our kids to watch us, not because we're just doing it haphazardly, but because we, like the Apostle Paul, are saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow him. I'm going to get it wrong. And I tell you, you can talk to, to my children. There are times where I have to sit them down as their father, and I have to say, I was wrong. I got that one wrong. I didn't respond in a way that I should have responded, and I need you to for, 
forgive me in that. And of course, they're, they're quick to say, we know you were wrong, Dad. <laughs> that was clear. Everybody knew it. Um, but, but even in those moments, teachable moments there. And then as a husband and, or father and, and a husband telling my kids, watch me as I love your mom. Set that example as well. So I, I pray today that God would just do a work in the fathers in this room in, in a way that would encourage us to be the men that God has called us to be, especially in an ever-changing culture, and realize it's never too late to be that which God called us to be. So don't just throw it away and say, well, it's too late, I'm done with that. No, it's never too late for us to be what God has called us to be. So what we want to do today is I'm going to ask um, all the fathers in this room to stand up. We want to recognize you. So you can do it now. You stand up now. You non-obeying fathers, you. So we want to acknowledge the fathers in this room and, and thank God for each, each one of you. And then I, I just want to pray for um, all, all of you and, and those in this room. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these men that are standing in this moment. Thank you for the blessing that you have given to them, Lord. Blessing of children, the blessing of the opportunity to impact those children for you. Lord, your, your word tells us that you have entrusted us with, with this amazing responsibility and what a responsibility it is and help us, God, not to take it for granted. Regardless of what our experiences were with our Father, help us, God, to be a very present Father for our children. God, help us to watch them, for them to find assurance in the fact that we are there for them, encouraging them, loving them with a love that doesn't go away. While at the same time, Lord, pointing them to you. The one heavenly father, the good father who will never let us down. Father, just bless these men. Encourage these men. Give them courage. Give them strength. Give them wisdom. Give them all that they need and give them the wisdom to realize they don't have all the wisdom and help them, help us all, Lord, to look to you for it. Lord, I pray for others in this room that just the mention of that word, Father, Lord, does not produce great feelings and warm feelings. God, I pray for your grace upon grace in those situations. But may those situations, God, those experiences not keep anyone in this room, Lord, from seeing you as the true Father who will never leave us, who will never let us down. Help us to see that in you, Father. Again, Lord, we just thank you for our, our dads. We thank you, God, for um, those who... Fathers have gone before, Lord, and we thank you for those blessings there. Just thank you for all that we have, O oh God. In your name, amen. You guys can be seated and thank you again, dads. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you and ask you to open with me to Matthew chapter 7 and also 1 John chapter 5. So Matthew 7 and 1 John 5. We want to welcome you to week 6 of a 7-week series that we are calling Foundations that we are walking through Matthew 7 
And over the last few weeks, we have seen that there are two paths that we ultimately all must choose from, a wide path and a narrow path, a wide gate and a narrow gate. And then last week, we saw that there are two types of prophets that we will ultimately listen to, either false prophets or, or true prophets. And it absolutely matters which one we choose. In fact, it absolutely matters who you listen to. It matters who you choose to listen to. There's a story of a man who is walking in his neighborhood. And he sees a sign in front of a house that says, Talking Dog for Sale. So, of course, his curiosity got the best of him. He knocks on the door and he is told that the dog is in the backyard. So he goes in the backyard and he sees this mutt of a dog sitting there. So the guy walks up to the dog and says, Do you talk? And the dog says, Yep. And the guy says, So what's your story? And the, guy, and the dog says, well, I discovered my gift of talking at a very young age, and I wanted to use it um, to help the world I live in. So I went to the CIA, and for eight years they, they used me and sent me all over the world where I sat in rooms with some of the most wicked world leaders. They never assuming that I was listening to them and could tell their conversations. And from that time in the CIA, I won so many awards and was the CIA's most valuable spy eight years running but yet running the world tired me out so instead I realized I needed to settle down a bit so I went and worked for the airport and while I was in the airport I I would do a job where I would wander around and just listen to people's conversations and I uncovered some incredible dealings dear, during my time with airport security and the dog says in light of all these accomplishments I'm now just Retired, and I'm looking for someone who will appreciate me for who I am. And of course, the guy is absolutely amazed, and he goes inside and he asks the owner, How much for the dog? And the owner says, $10. And the guy's again amazed and says, What? This dog is amazing. He is a hero. Why on earth would you sell him for $10? To which the guy replied, Because he's a big fat liar. Some of you will get that later on. But here, here, here's the point. It matters who we listen to, and it matters who we believe. Which brings us to Matthew chapter 7. The words of Jesus here, which aren't elaborate and glamorous lies. They'd be easier for us to believe and follow maybe if they were. But there's no deception here. And, and these words, these words are hard and deliberate truths. Yet they're meant to bring us to Christ, not away from Him. And I've been surprised when we walk through Matthew 7, I've been surprised how difficult um, these texts have been to preach through. They have not been easy in any means whatsoever. But they're not difficult because they're hard to understand. They're, they're very easy to understand. They're difficult because they're hard to hear and they're impossible to ignore. And the passage we come to this morning in Matthew 7 is probably one of the most terrifying passages in all of the Bible. For it contains one of the harshest phrases that could ever come from the mouth of Jesus, which is, I never knew you. We tend to think of Jesus as a motivational speaker who only says loving and positive things to us. But this idea of motivational speaking is not where we find ourselves today in Matthew 7. For Jesus is exposing here the possibility that we could be deceived. And he's doing that in order to bring us to a place of assurance. One pastor, A.E. Hodge, put it this way. It says, 
There is nothing in the world that works or produces such satanic, profound, God-defiant pride as false assurance. Nothing works such utter humility or brings us to such utter self-emptiness as the childlike spirit of true assurance. So that is the picture here, or being deceived or being assured. Therefore, let's turn to the Word this morning and see the danger that Jesus says threatens all of us and also lift high the assurance that is ours in Christ. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's Word today. We're going to read Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and then turn over and read 1 John 5 and verse 13. So it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now turn over to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. 1 John 5 and verse 13, and it says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to you today in the midst of this topic, Lord, that we didn't bring up. Jesus, you brought this up. You fleshed this out. The possibility that we could be deceived, but also the possibility that we can be assured. Just give us that today, we pray. Just any who are deceived, God, open their eyes today. May the, today be the day of salvation. And give assurance to those in this room who need it in this moment, which is all of us. Just speak to us, O oh God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So just think about the words of Jesus here in Matthew 7, words that cut to the heart, yet in a good way. And this is the essence of, of the words of Christ. I love this, that Jesus doesn't play games with people. He never plays games with people. He doesn't pass on information in order to entertain us, in order to, to flatter us. Jesus understood what was at stake. For long before the world was made, Jesus knew the grave situation that our sins, your sin and my sin, would place us in. And he knew that unless the penalty for our sins was paid in full, that we would be lost forever. So Jesus willingly and in complete agreement with the plan of his Father, he left his throne in glory, he comes to earth, he pays the penalty for all of our sin, for our sin upon the cross. Therefore, in this moment where Jesus is speaking these harsh words, he is saying them, even then, in love to a people who are in danger of being deceived. And this message is so personal to me because for many years I struggled to find assurance of my salvation. And what I mean is, is this. I, I was raised in a day where every camp I went to, every revival speaker I heard, would say the same thing. They would say this, if you want to go to heaven when you die, then pray this prayer and you will be saved. So what did I do? I, I prayed the prayer. I kept praying the prayer. And somewhere along the way, I was led to believe that salvation comes through praying a prayer. And the problem is, let me just say this very clearly, it doesn't. That's not true. 
I know it because I prayed that prayer over and over and over and over and over and over again and yet still had no assurance of my salvation. Never found it. And this is where I was led to, to know that ultimately salvation is not about trusting in a prayer. Salvation is about trusting in a Savior. There's a complete difference there. Not trusting in a prayer, trusting in a Savior. That's where assurance comes from. Not based on how good you pray a prayer. Salvation is based on how sufficient Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is and forever will be. And please understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that prayers are important. I'm not saying that prayer is not a part of salvation. The Bible tells us that in our, our need, in, in the midst of our sinfulness, we cry out to God. It's our hearts cry to, to God. Here's what I'm saying. The church is filled up and outside the church is filled up with people who have walked into the church, who have been told by a pastor, if you want to go to heaven, pray this prayer and you will be saved. Pat you on the back. They prayed that prayer. They walked out. Their lives have never changed whatsoever but yet they are somehow convinced that because they prayed a prayer, they're fine. And that scares me. It scares me that one day someone could stand before God and God say, I never knew you, and then look at me and say, but you told us I, we were okay. You told me I was okay. You told me if I prayed a prayer, I would be okay. And that scares me. So in, in light of the reality of these harsh words and yet, Hopeful words. Let's spend the next few minutes just unpacking two truths that pertain to deception and assurance. So the first is this. Many within the church have been deceived. Many within the church have been deceived. I know you're thinking right now, Micah, how is this positive? This doesn't sound very positive. And let me just point you to the fact that these aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but who will? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Then Jesus says, on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not preach in your name, cast out demons in your name, do miracles in your name? And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Did you know that over 60% of Americans say that they have a relationship with Jesus? even though most of them just mean they know something about him. 50% of them say they have prayed a prayer asking Jesus into their hearts, even though half of them um, have no church attendance in their lives, and two-thirds of them, um, their worldview is no different from the worldview of a lost person. Jesus is very clear. People are saying, Lord, Lord, yet they're not doing the will of God and they're living according to him in lawlessness. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're thinking right now, so Micah, what, what it seems like you're saying, it sounds like you're saying that if I don't live in obedience to Jesus, I'm not saved. And let me be very clear, that's not what I'm saying. That's what Jesus is saying. <laughs> He's saying that, not, not me. He's saying... Make sure you're not living in lawlessness. Make sure there's not just a, a mouth uh, of a profession with no relationship whatsoever with him. And let me make sure you're not hearing what I'm not saying. We are absolutely saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Yet, faith that saves will never be alone. It will always be accompanied with works. It will always be accompanied with fruit, um, the fruit of the Spirit. 
So there are a few things that I want to highlight here. And these aren't in your notes, but if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and throw these down. When it thinks about, when, it, when we think about deception, two things. First of all, consider the words, Lord, Lord. Consider the words, Lord, Lord. We see those words used twice here. Did you know that Jesus is, is called Savior in the New Testament 10 times and he is called Lord 700 times? Which means he is the worthy one. He is the exalted one. And even going further, when you see a name repeated twice, it's always a, a Hebrew expression of intimacy. It means that you know someone well. Consider this. There are 15 occurrences in Scripture where someone's um, name is, is mentioned twice. When God appears to Abraham, right before Abraham is about to thrust the knife into Isaac's chest, God says, Abraham, Abraham, I know you. When Jacob is struggling with going to Egypt, even though he knows his, his son, Joseph, is there, God says, Jacob, Jacob. Consider, consider the call of Moses at the burning bush when God comes to Moses and says, Moses, Moses. Moses had a past, and God is saying, I, I know you. I know you. Consider the calling of Samuel, this young boy. God comes to him in the middle of the night and says, Samuel, Samuel. Consider David's cry of agony, Absalom, oh Absalom, after his son is, is killed. Or when Jesus confronts Martha because Martha is only concerned with what Mary is doing. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, there are many things you're doing, but, Mar but Mary has chosen the one thing that matters. Or when Jesus comes to Simon, Peter, and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat but I've prayed for you. Or when Jesus comes to Saul on the road to Damascus and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's a sign of intimacy. I know you. Or probably the greatest one, we, we see the most moving example, is when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God. Think about what that means. Jesus in that moment is saying, I know you. I know you. And yet you are forsaking me and here's what's happening here in matthew 7 please don't please don't check out yet jesus is saying is that there are many people who profess to be christians who use the name christ even call him by his exalted name of lord as though they know him deeply who according to jesus do not belong to him and according to jesus will not stand before him in the last judgment the terrifying aspect is that these people aren't on the fringes of the church. These people are serving in the church. They're heavily involved in ministry. Listen to what Jesus says. On the last day, they will say, did we not prophesy or preach in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And again, in one sense, Jesus is talking about church people just like us. But yet in another sense, think about this. How many of you have ever preached a message? Or let's get even further. How many of you have ever cast out a demon or done a miracle? If those people were here at this church, they'd be on the A-team. They would be on the A-team. I cast out demons. Well, come on over. Red Rover, Red Rover, send that guy on over. We would want them here. And here's what Jesus is saying. They don't make the cut. For us, they'd be the A-team. And Jesus is saying, they don't make the cut. Despite their profession of an intimate relationship with Christ, despite their amazing works all done in the name of Christ, Jesus will look at them and he will say, please 
leave me, for I never knew you. The first thing I told you was consider the words, Lord, Lord. The second thing is consider the words of the Lord. Consider the words of the Lord. Jesus will look at these people and he will say, he won't say, I used to know you, but I don't even know who you are anymore. No, he'll say, I never, ever knew you. Never knew you. Just think about this. There's going to be a lot of people one day who will stand before God thinking they're okay, and they're going to be surprised when Jesus says, I never knew you. And if the answer that you give to soothe your doubts is, well, I, I go to church and I do good things, and, then be careful. Let me just say this clearly. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Or going to Starbucks makes you a $7 cup of coffee. Or going to Dunkin' Donuts makes you a police officer. It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't happen. And here, here's the point. I say that kind of funny thing to really bring home a truth. Don't be deceived. The words of an engraving in, in Germany on the cathedral echo Jesus' words in this way. It says this, Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. Therefore, if I condemn you, blame me not. Just, just think about that reality. The words of Charles Spurgeon, he said, if Christ does not know us, it doesn't matter what we do. If Christ doesn't know us, it doesn't matter what we do. It is all nothing if Christ does not know us. And then he says, for there is more thunder in those four words than you have ever heard in the most terrible storm that has ever rolled over your heads. The words, I never knew you. Which again frightening words that some will be surprised to hear on that day. Don't ignore the words of Christ. Don't be deceived. Which leads us to the second truth. The second truth, which is this. Those who are the church should be assured. So many in the church will be deceived, but those who are the church should be assured. For centuries, the question of assurance has sparked controversy all over the church. Many churches have gone as far as to say that there is no way assurance can be attainable. Churches have said you cannot have assurance. It's an impossibility for you to be assured that you are saved. But, and the question for us becomes this. Does God really want us to know for sure that we're saved? I mean, think about this. If in one standpoint, if there's doubt in our minds, if there's always doubt in our minds, wouldn't that make us work harder? I mean, if you give a guarantee, is that not going to make us just not try at all? I mean, if you're a college student and you walk in the first day of class and the professor says, it doesn't matter what you do, this semester you get an A. Guess what I'm doing? I'm gone. I'm not doing anything. I mean, if he guarantees me an A... Nothing's happening here. I'm giving him a high five. He's my favorite teacher ever. Or, or think about it. If our boss comes to us and says, it doesn't matter what you do this year, wink, wink, you get a raise. How is our job performance going to be during that year? Maybe not pretty good. We, we, we might not do our, our best. 
But here's the point. We're not talking here about earning something. We're talking about God giving us something. We're talking about grace and love. And as our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, He wants us to be assured. Just think about this. Think about it. The next time I was going to India, in November, I go to India. Think about me sitting my kids down. And I say to them, right now, at this moment, I love you. And depending on how you act while I'm gone will determine whether I love you when I get back. I mean, just think about that. Right now, I'm your father. But if you act a fool and disobey your mother, I just might not be your father when I get back. I might, you, just the thought of you, the sight of you might just make me sick. But I want you to think about that and while I'm gone, use that time to be better children to me. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Would that produce love in my children or would that produce fear? I mean, most of us are going to, let's be honest, it's going to produce fear. Maybe we think we can lead in fear. One pastor said this, fear-based obedience normally turns into father-loathing rebellion. Fear-based obedience normally turns into father-loathing rebellion. If I, if I would not want my children to walk in doubt and uncertainty concerning my love for them, and I don't, I tell them all the time, I love you. It doesn't matter what you do, I love you. But I do care about what you do. I'm always going to love you. I care about what you do. But you have my love and my support. But I'm going to push you to know Christ. I'm going to push you to let God be glorified in this. But just think about it from my standpoint. If it matters to me that my kids understand how much I love them and how much I'm committed to them, would God want any less for us? And the answer is, of course not. His love for us and our love for him grows best in the soul of security. Just, just listen to the words of the Apostle John in 1 John 5. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Meaning, God wants us to have assurance. Which begs the question, think about your salvation right now. Is there a huge exclamation point hanging over your salvation or is there a huge question mark? Do you have full assurance of your salvation, that exclamation point, I know I am saved, or is there a question mark there? I think I'm saved, I hope I did it right, I think I got it right, I, I did this, I, I did that. You know, what, what is the picture there? And let me just add two truths here to show you where assurance comes from. This is not in your notes, but feel free to write it down. Assurance is not found in behavior modification, but in a new nature. Assurance is not found in behavior modification, how you modify your behavior. It's found in a new nature. For salvation is not just getting man into heaven. Salvation is getting the God of heaven into man. Giving us a new heart and a new nature that comes from a new birth. Think about this. This is about to get gross, but just follow with me here. If my four-year-old son were to walk in here right now, as cute as he was, and let's just say he just pukes all over the altar. Just follow with me here. I would not have to look at you and say, hey guys, please stay with you where you are and please do not come up here and lick it up. I would not have to say that to you. Why? Because that's not in your nature to do that. Now, if you were dogs, that would be a different story. If you were dogs, I'd have to say, no, stay where you are. Or I'd have to take a leash and put you where you are and make sure you did not come up front because that would be appealing to you if you were a dog. Now, granted, I know this is kind of weird, but why do I say this? The reason I say this is because 
It has to do with our, our nature, not the rules that are enforced upon us. So that kind of behavior right there is not in our nature. But guess what? Sin is. Sin is in our nature. And the only way that we are going to overcome that is not by God standing in front of the sin going, no, if you come near, I will spank you. Or rubbing our nose in it every time we, we do wrong. No, that's not how we overcome. Instead, God gives us a new nature and a new heart. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.17 where it says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And let me just say this. If there has been no changes in your life since you professed Christ, then you do not know Christ, regardless of what you profess. Someone, I've used this example before of a pastor who gives an example of, let's just say I was 15 minutes late to church today, and I were to say, hey guys, I'm sorry I'm late, but on the way to church I had a flat tire, I stopped and was changing it, and I got ran over by a Mack truck. But I was able to get up and dust myself off, I finished changing the tire, and I'm here. Now you would look at me and you would say, ain't no way. There's no way. If you got run over by a truck, you would look way different than you do. It wouldn't take a rocket scientist to get that. In the same way, brothers and sisters, if we have had an encounter with the God of the universe, the one who raised from the dead for us, and the one who puts his spirit in us, if we've had an encounter with him, we will never be the same. It's the reality of who it is that we're coming in contact with. So assurance is not about behavior modification. It's about a new nature. And then secondly, assurance is not found in past memory. It's found in our present posture. Meaning, how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're saved? If your only answer is to point back to a prayer you prayed 10, 20, 40, 50 years ago, then you might be trusting in the wrong thing. Think about this. Is your hope in a past prayer or is your hope in a present Savior? What are you hoping in? A past prayer or a present Savior? We can describe it like sitting in a chair. If I have a chair and I'm thinking about sitting in that chair, it doesn't matter what I say to that chair. I can look at that chair and I can say, Chair, thou art a sturdy chair. And chair, surely you are worthy and can hold my weight. And I want to invite you to be my personal chair. And I accept you as the chair of all chairs. You know, it doesn't matter what I say to that chair if I never sit down in it. In the same picture, it doesn't matter what you say to Jesus if you never find yourself in him. If you never find yourself in him, leaning all of yourself upon him, it's the posture that you take towards Christ. Are you presently trusting in him? Are you presently leaning all of yourself upon him? You can really only be in one of two postures in this moment. You're either standing up by yourself or you're sitting in the chair yourself that's, that's built around you or you are at this moment sitting completely surrendered in Christ. How do you know that you made a decision to trust in Christ? How do you know that you're in Christ? Some of us can go back right to the day and time that, that we know Christ grabbed a hold of us. Others of us, we can, and we struggle with that. And one of the greatest things I've ever heard was, you know, if you're driving to Georgia, and that's a great place to drive to, just so you know, go dogs. But if you're driving to Georgia, 
there would be a certain place. That was for you, Chris. There was a certain, certain place where you would see a sign that says, Welcome to Georgia. You would know, hey, I entered into Georgia about 10 o'clock, and you would know I am in Georgia. Now, if you decided to get on a plane and fly into Atlanta, there is no picture that says you are now in Georgia. You would not see that sign. So you land in Atlanta. So the question becomes, how do you know you're in Georgia? Because you're there. You're there. Well, I don't feel like I'm there, but you're there. And here's the truth of it. How do we know that we are in Christ? Because we're there. How do you know you've been saved? Because you are presently in this moment trusting in Him. You're resting in Him. You are not looking to yourself. You're not looking at a performance. You are trusting only in Him. Which leads me to end this way. Sadly, many people today have a false assurance because they have walked into a church, have made a one-time decision, have prayed a prayer, and have been um, told to sign this card, to jump in this water, and they've been told by the pastor, hey, you are good now, you, you will go to heaven, and they have walked away with no change whatsoever in their lives, but yet they're assured. Others are struggling to find assurance, and unfortunately, they keep looking to performance. Did I pray this prayer right? Somebody came up to me after the service this morning, the first service, and said, that's all I ever heard was, nail it down. Nail down your salvation. Nail it down. And they said, I had about a thousand nails of prayers that never brought me assurance. Why? Because you're trusting in a performance instead of trusting in a person, trusting in Christ. So the Bible tells us, if you want to know where you are in Christ, you want to know whether you are in salvation, look to Christ. Where are you in relation to him? Conversion is a beginning of a posture that you assume in Christ for the rest of your life. At this moment, whatever might be true of you, this is true. You are either in one of two places, either in Christ or outside of him. I would end by begging you in, in this way, where are you at this morning? Is it possible that you have been deceived? And granted, I know that sounds so narrow-minded. I know it sounds... So hateful, but I think about Jesus, what he was doing here. It's really words of love. Is it possible that you've been deceived? That you have been led to believe that just doing something one time that has had no effect on your life has saved you? And I pray that if God is showing you that today, that today you would realize that today needs to be a day of salvation where you stop trusting in yourself or something you did and you start trusting in the only one who's able to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Or maybe you're here today and you're struggling with finding assurance. Apart from salvation, I think the greatest gift that I could give you today is the gift of assurance. And I pray that you don't walk away from here going, I know he said he wanted me to be assured, but I've never, never been more um, doubtful than I ever have. I pray that that's not the case. The question becomes, what have we done with Christ? Where are we at right now? him. I want to end with the words of Pastor J.D. Greer who says this There is one who remains faithful even when we doubt. One who has a, who is a firm foundation when our steps falter and then get this, one who holds on even when we let go. Keep your eyes on him. He is faithful. He said it is finished. Brothers and sisters, I don't always hold on to him like I should. But praise God he holds on to me. He does not let go of me, for I am in his hand and nothing can snatch me out. Where do I find myself today? I find myself in 
Christ and he is in me. I pray today that you have that assurance. If you don't, I pray today that you will have it. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And we're going to call the musicians down as we enter into a time of invitation. And we finish this time together. Let's, let's pray. Father, again, we are asking you to do what only you can, God, that you move in the hearts and lives of people. God, that we would ask ourselves the question today, have we been deceived? God, it's not a fun question to ask, Lord, and it has very real ramifications for our lives, but I pray that if in this moment you are showing us that we have, God, that you would break down our pride and help us in this moment to look away from any, any performance on our part. It's not about what we have done. It's about what you have done. God, help us to turn away from trusting in ourselves. Help us to turn away from doing something and help us instead just to cry out to you from the depths of our hearts to save us. Believing, Jesus, that you did what we could never do in dying on the cross for our sins and believing that that was and forever will be enough. Father, I pray for any today that is struggling with doubts, God, that you would minister to them in ways, God, just to to bring yourself glory. Help them, God, not to nail it down today by doing another act. Help them today, God, just to find themselves resting completely and solely in you. You are the chair, and we want to make sure that we are resting all of our weight upon you. God, give us that assurance today, we pray. Help us to be able to leave here, God, being assured of the truth that we are yours and you are ours. And that one day you will say, I, they knew me and I knew them. Do that in our hearts even now. In Jesus' name, amen.